Have you ever known someone that was just absolutely stuck in the past? I, I mean, they weren't enjoying or experiencing or claiming the new opportunities for today because they were so obsessed and so focused on their regrets from yesterday. You know, these are the people who think their best years are behind them. It's sad, isn't it? They stop living before their life is over. I think the best example I've ever seen from the movie world of this is Uncle Rico. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but Uncle Rico from, you know, Napoleon Dynamite. I'd be curious, just so I don't feel all alone in this, how many of you watched Napoleon Dynamite at least once? Okay, a good many of you. The rest of you don't have an appreciation for classic American stuff, right? <laughs> Napoleon Dynamite. Uncle Rico was a guy who was totally stuck in the past. In fact, he always talked about back in 82, back in 82, because he felt like his life would have been totally different if his coach had put him in the big football game. He thought if the coach had put him in, he would have, you know, scored the touchdowns necessary and they would have won the game and his entire life would have been transformed. His entire life would have been different. In his words, in the present, if he had been in that big game, he would have been in the hot tub with his soulmate. <laughs> that tells you how messed up Uncle Rico was. He was a mess. And that's what happens when you get stuck in the past. Many of us look at people like that and we say, boy, I... Glad that's not me, but here's the unfortunate reality. Uncle Rico is a great picture of how most of us live out our spiritual lives. Stuck in the past. Not experiencing all that God has for us now. Not experiencing the hope and the joy and the fullness and the purpose we were created for in the now because we're focused on the regrets and disappointments of the past. In fact, this is the reality I want you to see. The reality is so many of us are stuck in the past and never move on even after we ask God to forgive us. And this is unfortunate because when God forgives, he literally takes away all that used to be, all the old, all that used to define us, who we've been in the past, and he transforms us into something brand new. And so we have all of these new opportunities to no longer be stuck where we were because we are in Christ different than we were. And yet many of us never experience that freedom. Many of us never experience that newness, because in spite of the fact that in God's eyes it's gone, we're still obsessed and focused backward on it. We get stuck in the past and we never move on even after we ask forgiveness. And it's killing us. The truth is, many of us talk about moving on without moving on. Many of us claim that We've been transformed by Jesus without ever really being transformed because it's so easier to make the claim than it is to actually do it. But here's the good news. We can actually move on no matter how much litter of failure remains in our past. We can move on if we'll just embrace his truth. The truth is this. Moving on requires forgiveness in 3D. 
Moving on requires forgiveness in 3D, in three different dimensions, in three different directions. And most of us don't understand this. Usually, most of us experience forgiveness in one direction or maybe two directions, but we forget about the third direction. And because of that, we never really experience forgiveness in any direction. We're stuck in the past. So what does forgiveness in 3D look like? Well, let me explain the truth of it right up front, and then we'll really work through the application. The truth of it is that we, first of all, and it has to start here, or no other direction or dimension of forgiveness can happen, we have to begin with upward forgiveness. We have to begin with God's forgiveness of our wrongs. We have to begin with upward forgiveness. Because when God forgives us, he removes the old, all that used to define us and will define us unless he takes it away and gives us the brand new. Look at Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13. He who conceals his sins does not prosper. If you conceal them, if you hold on to them, if you don't experience forgiveness for them, you'll never prosper, you'll never move on, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. You cannot move on in life without Upward forgiveness. Because without God's forgiveness, you will carry it. You will own it. It will define you. It's who you are. But he can change it. But upward forgiveness isn't the only direction or dimension of forgiveness we need to experience. Because many of us have looked upward for forgiveness, and yet we're still consumed with the darkness and the shadows of our past failings. We can't get over it. We're defined by it. It's the epitaph of our everyday life. We're defeated before we wake up because we see ourselves through the lens of what we once were. So there's another dimension. What's that? It's outward forgiveness. Outward forgiveness. You know, when we experience outward forgiveness, what we're doing is we're experiencing the offering of forgiveness for another person's wrongs. And so all of a sudden, now once we experience God's forgiveness, we literally have the old taken away and the new in, but we're still around people who carry the weight of our past failings and our past hurts, and we carry the weight of their past failings towards us and the hurts they brought us. And so in spite of the fact that our old self is gone and the new has come, we've been forgiven upward, we still have all this darkness and burden around us, and so we need outward forgiveness. We need to forgive one another. And when we do that, all the pressure and all the bondage and all the junk between us can go away. We release it. I mean, look at how the Bible says it very clearly. Jesus is talking and he says in Matthew six fourteen through 15, For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. The point is you'll never experience or enjoy the freedom of God's forgiveness if you're holding on to all the bitterness of your own unforgiveness. And so when you experience upward forgiveness, you never really experience moving on if you don't then offer forgiveness to others. This is the truth of Jesus. You can't move on without upward forgiveness and outward forgiveness. I think most of you know that tomorrow, Monday, is Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And I have to tell you, I, I love the way that he expressed the need to forgive others if, if we're going to, as human beings, move on from where we were. In fact, he had to apply it to himself as he you know, practiced civil disobedience in areas in order to try and break the culture's uh, view of racism and unequal diversity in this country. 
he was thrown in prison and, and he was a human being and it caused anger and, and junk to develop in his life towards other people. And he had to work on forgiveness. And while in prison, unjustly one time, he wrote these words, we must develop and maintain the capacity to forgive. He who is devoid of the power to forgive is devoid of the power to love. There is some good in the worst of us and some evil in the best of us. When we discover this, we are less prone to hate our enemies. Do you see what he was doing? He was saying, I can be doing all of this stuff in my life to help set people free. And at the same time, I can be in the bondage of my own junk because I'm unwilling to forgive. And he says, I have to forgive if I'm going to move on. And he was saying the same thing. He said, our movement can create freedom for all of us, this equality that we're going for, and yet we'll never move on as a people, we'll never move on as a country if we don't learn to forgive one another because we'll carry all of the junk into the new world, which means it's just the same old world. Martin Luther King Jr. got it. He knew that forgiving outwardly was essential to moving on. And he was trying to apply the words of Jesus. But there's one other dimension of forgiveness. It doesn't end with upward forgiveness. It begins there, but it doesn't end there. It doesn't end with outward forgiveness. It's important, but it's not the end. Because then there's one last dimension of forgiveness, and this is the one that we tend to miss. This is the one that we tend to fail to focus on, and this is the one that robs us of the experience and the joy of all the other dimensions of forgiveness. It's the fact that we need to experience inward forgiveness. Inward forgiveness. This is our forgiveness of our own wrongs. This is when we forgive ourselves for our failures. This is when we let go of our own junk and move past it. And this is the one that I believe holds most of us captive. I believe most of us never really experience God's forgiveness and its freedom and never really experience the forgiveness of one another and that freedom because we're never able to forgive ourselves. We're always looking through the lens of our own darkness. We're always looking through the lens of our own shame. We're always looking through the lens of our own guilt. So it's hard to experience the promises of God when you're looking through the lens of your own guilt. And just so you know, this is God, not me. I'm not making this up. In Romans chapter 6, God inspires the Apostle Paul to write about all that God did for us to free us from who we were, to transform us into something new, for God to forgive us so that we could forgive one another and we could live literally lives of fullness. But he says, many of you aren't doing it because you haven't yet turned the lens of forgiveness inward. And look at how he says it in Romans chapter 6, verse 11. He says, in the same way you're experiencing all that God has done for you, you now have to turn inward and experience it. He says, you have to count yourselves now dead to sin. Forgive yourself. It's gone. Consider it to be the reality that you're not who you were. You're someone new. And he says, consider yourselves now to be alive to God in Christ Jesus. He's saying, yes, you've been forgiven in an upward way. Yes, you're forgiving in an outward way. But you have to now forgive yourself If you don't count yourself to have been transformed and forgiven, then you'll never move on. You'll never be alive in Christ. And I think this is a plague in many of our lives. Let me give you an example that God gave us of forgiveness upward, forgiveness outward, and then an important forgiveness inward that was hard to experience but ultimately done. And it's the man Peter. Peter. 
Now, if you're, not, if you're newer to the Bible, not really associated with the Bible all that much, Peter was one of the very first followers of Jesus. And Peter's a great example for us because Peter's like us. He was a common man doing common things. He was a fisherman in his day. He wasn't highbrow. He wasn't Mr. Joe, rabbi religious guy. He, he was a fisherman. And he really exemplifies the pattern of life as we need to. And Peter really needed to learn to forgive himself. What I'm going to do is I'm going to walk you through his story a little bit. And I've given you some verses on the outline, some passages you can read on your own. But, but let me just tell you the story. In Matthew chapter 26, after Peter and, and 11 others who had been chosen to personally follow Jesus and represent him uh, had been with Jesus for three and a half years, Jesus was, get, was getting ready to die on the cross. He was going to be betrayed. He was going to be brutalized. He was going to die on the cross. They were going to come after him and haul him away and he looked at his followers Peter included and he said you know I, I know this is going to be hard for you to hear but, but when I go through the trauma of this betrayal and this crucifixion uh, every one of you are going to fail me you're all going to fall away you're all going to run you're all going to put your tail between your legs and run away in fear you're going to fall away and Peter looked at Jesus in the eyes and challenged him and he said not me he says, maybe these other losers are going to do that, but not me. Now, this is a little bit of free advice. This is like extra benefit. You didn't even pay for this part. Let me just give this to you, all right? When Jesus says something is going to happen, he's right. Don't be so stupid that you think you can correct the creator of the world. It's really advice for myself, and maybe you can benefit from it. I mean, Peter challenged Jesus, not me. These other losers, I can see some weaknesses in them, but I'm going to stand strong for you. And so Jesus really went further. And he says, well, okay, I wasn't going to say this, but Peter, you're going down worse than most of them. Because before the rooster crows tomorrow, you big man are going to deny me three times. And he did. The last one cussing out a little girl because she identified him as a follower of Jesus. And just as he failed the last time, the rooster crowed. Okay, can I just tell you again? When Jesus says something's going to happen, it's going to happen. The rooster crowed. The Bible says Jesus turned and looked straight at Peter. And Peter wept bitterly, the Bible says. I mean, it tore him apart on the inside. It devastated him. And on the inside, he, he wept uncontrollably. He could not believe that he fell so far and so hard. It was so bad that even when Jesus rose from the dead after dying and confronted Peter, they saw each other and offered Peter forgiveness, embraced Peter and loved on Peter and and the others got back together and they all forgave each other for what they did. And so there was upward forgiveness and there was outward forgiveness. Even after all of that, Peter still couldn't forgive himself for his failure. He couldn't believe he fell so far. And so here's what he did. He believed that though God had forgiven him and others had forgiven him, that he was no longer worthy to serve Jesus. And so here's what he said. I'm just going to go fishing. And he wasn't meaning that he was going to take a vacation to Canada, throw out a line and catch a couple of, you know, fish and drink down some Bud Lights. You know, that's not what he was talking about. He meant, I'm going to go back to my career as a fisherman. 
because I'm obviously no longer qualified. I'm no longer of any value to God. There's no way he could ever use me. He was seeing himself through the lens of his own failure. And so he went fishing. Well, here's what happened. Jesus showed up at his favorite fishing spot. And I need you to know, it doesn't matter how far you run or how messed up you are in your mind, Jesus knows where you are, and Jesus is right there. He's showing up. And he confronted Peter in a very interesting way. In John chapter 21, he said, Okay, now, Peter, we've had some fish. We've enjoyed each other's company. But I know what's going on inside of you, and so I need to ask you a question. Do you really love me more than all these other guys? Do you really think you're a bigger man than all these other guys? Really? Peter says, you know I love you. And he says, okay, feed my sheep. You know what he's saying? If you really believe I love you, if you really believe I've forgiven you, if you really believe you're okay with me, then you need to forgive yourself. You're not supposed to be fishing. You're supposed to be feeding my sheep. I didn't call you to that vocation. I called you to follow me. And the only reason you're here is because you haven't forgiven yourself. And he did it three times, Jesus. Because he wanted Peter to get it. Until you forgive yourself, you'll never experience the benefit of God forgiving you. Until you forgive yourself, you'll never experience the benefit of forgiving others and others forgiving you. Until you forgive yourself, you will never live the life I've called you to. Feed my sheep. He had to learn to forgive himself. And by the way, when he did, he went on to live an unbelievable life, one of the most profound lives the church has ever known because he ultimately forgave himself. And this is our problem. Many of us are experiencing Jesus forgiving us and others forgiving us, but we're not forgiving ourselves. And so we're not moving on. So this weekend, we're going to look at it. How do we move on? How do we move on? How do we move on? Once we're forgiven by God, how do we get past all of that lingering guilt that we have? Because I, I tell you from my own personal experience, when I really blow it and mess up, even though I've been forgiven by God, even though others forgive me, I still have all this guilt about how messed up I am. And I have to forgive myself. How do we do it? It's not easy. Well, I'm going to give you a couple of principles if we're going to ultimately forgive ourselves, get rid of the lingering guilt so that we can embrace the life that God's given us like Peter did, we have to first look for the symptoms of lingering guilt. You know, we're in flu season right now, right? And, and uh, what you do is you start getting symptoms of the flu. One good clue is that you're vomiting everywhere. That's kind of a clue that you're, you know, might have the flu and, you know, headache. And this one comes with some chest stuff and some body aches. And if you call your doctor, they'll say, what are your symptoms? And you'll list them off and you'll go, yep, flu. We all have the symptoms of unforgiveness of self, but we don't even recognize them. We don't even know they're there. You have to recognize it before you can deal with it. What are the symptoms? First one, self-doubt. Self-doubt. Peter was an unbelievably self-confident, courageous guy. And all of a sudden, he's consumed with self-doubt. He, no, he, I can't serve God. I can't represent God. I can't do that anymore. I'm just going to go back to fishing because I don't deserve to do it. Self-doubt is a huge symptom of the fact that you're not forgiving yourself because it paralyzes us, right? 
Self-doubt causes us to put life on hold, to stop living like Uncle Rico did because it's obvious from our failure that we've got nothing to offer. It's obvious from our failure that we can't be trusted. It's obvious from our failure that we don't deserve it, that we can't do anything. I mean, think about Peter. He stood up and said, I love you more than anyone else and I'll die for you if I have to. And then he fell hard and it consumed him with self-doubt. I don't know that I can stand anymore. And it paralyzed him. And so he went back to fishing, back to his old life, back to what used to define him instead of the promises God gave him. And it caused him to miss all kinds of opportunities. And I believe many of us live right there. And I'd love to follow Jesus, but I'm just going to fail again. That's what I've always done. I'd love to follow Jesus, but I don't deserve it. I'm just going to blow it again. There's another symptom. It's called self-deprivation. Self-deprivation. You might say, not me. I bet it is. I know it's me. This is where we deprive ourselves of any joy, of any love, of any opportunities that are positive because we've decided we don't deserve it. Why have we decided we don't deserve it? Because we're unwilling to forgive ourselves because we see what we've done as being undeserving of forgiveness, which means we're undeserving of any good things in our lives. And many of us, because we refuse to forgive ourselves, really sabotage any opportunities for joy or for love or for opportunities in our life. We do everything to undercut all of these opportunities by making one bad choice after another bad choice because we don't deserve them anyway. And then once in a while, these things happen anyway. No matter how much we're trying to prevent them, little joy can creep into our life, you know. Some love can come into our life. We can meet someone who loves us profoundly, unconditionally. And you know what we do? We sabotage that. We keep hurting them badly so that we can ultimately prove they're not going to love us unconditionally either because we don't deserve their love. Self-deprivation. We deprive ourselves of this joy. I'm telling you, in my own life I see it. And as I pastor so many people, I see it so often. And it all stems from this. You're not forgiving yourself. God's willing to forgive you. Others are willing to forgive you. But you're not willing to forgive yourself. There's another symptom. It's not just self-doubt and self-deprivation. There's self-depreciation. Now, depreciation is the opposite of appreciation, right? Appreciation, you're lifting someone up. You're encouraging someone. And the truth is many of us are consistently in the inside and self-thinking and self-feel. We're consistently depreciating ourselves. We're tearing ourselves down. I don't deserve any of this stuff. I'm, I, I can't be trusted. I'm going to fail. I'm going to fail again. I'm just a failure in spite of what we Say we believe, we self-depreciate. All this lingering guilt, because we're unwilling to forgive ourselves, causes us to see ourselves as less valuable than God sees us, less valuable than we really are. And it's all because we won't forgive ourselves. Instead of seeing ourselves as loved by God, we see ourselves as worthless to him. We think, because we won't forgive ourselves, that he's better off without us. In fact, we get to the place where we start asking questions like, how could he love me? How could he ever use me? And this is where Peter was. How could he ever still use me? I might as well go back to fishing. Self-depreciation. And by the way, if you ever see a person who's tearing other people down and depreciating other people, it's often because they can't forgive themselves for junk and so they're going to tear other people down as well. I bet you see the symptoms in your life, your relationships, in your world. It just stems from 
the lack of forgiving yourself. Some people who believe strongly in God's forgiveness and believe strongly in forgiving others can be some of the meanest people in the world and it's because they've never been able to forgive themselves. So when you start asking this question, how could God ever use me? How could he ever love me? Let me give you the answer. By grace. You see, God is willing to give to us what we don't deserve. And because he's willing to forgive us and take away the old and to give us the new, because Jesus lived the story we've never lived and then died for the penalty of our messed up, guilty story, because he was willing to take all of our sin and guilt and darkness and bury it in that tomb, and because he rose again, when God forgives us, he's able to take away the old and put in the new. So there's no longer the old story. There's no longer what defined us in there. And so here's the deal. We're no longer that person we don't appreciate, that person that we have self-loathing for. We're no longer that person. He's taken that away when we put faith in Christ, and we've been made new. But many of us don't see it. You're brand new, but you're living like you're still old. You're absolutely forgiven, but you're still living like you're a failure. God's saying, I've made you in the image of my son, but you're saying, I'm a failure. You've got to forgive yourself. And there's one last symptom, self-destruction. Self-destruction. I mean, this is just the scale. I mean, we have such self-destructive tendencies. I know I do. Here's what happens. When we're not willing to forgive ourselves, we seek to escape all the guilt and all the darkness through self-destructive behavior. And sometimes it comes out with, you know, covering it up with alcohol and drugs. Or sometimes through workaholism, we're going to, we're going to cover up and escape our guilt by just working ourselves to death. Sometimes it's by pursuing pleasure, usually the wrong kinds of pleasure to cover up our guilt. Sometimes we, we do it by, by moving from relationship to relationship or from job to job. We're always trying to escape the guilt and all of these are self-destructive but there's one that's just as bad and maybe even worse and it's just living a lie. Let, let me tell you how it looks. Because we can't forgive ourselves, we believe that no one else will forgive us either. Now get that because that's an important statement. Because we can't forgive ourselves, we really believe that no one else can forgive us either. Not God, not others. And so we think we're beyond forgiveness. And so what we have to do in order to try and get God on our side and try and get others on our side is we have to hide our true selves. We have to put on a mask. We have to ultimately live a lie. Let me ask you, are there any deep, dark secrets in your life that you would never utter to another human being no matter how trustworthy or loving that person is you know why it's because you feel if they knew they could never love you or forgive you or care about you which means that you see yourself through the lens of that failure and you can't forgive yourself you live a lie. You put on a mask. You pretend you're something you're not. And I'm telling you, this place and wherever you're listening to this talk from, we are filled with this kind of lie. And here's what happens. When we live a lie, we get people to like us, but we can't enjoy it because we know they're not loving us. They're loving the lie. We... we we claim we're experiencing God's love, but we can't enjoy it because what? We know he's loving the lie. And it's crazy. 
what happens when we live the lie is we're saying we don't know and understand and trust forgiveness at all. We don't really believe God can forgive anything. That's why we hide everything. We don't really believe other people can forgive anything. That's why we hide these things. And it's sad but common. A Pearl Jam song that was done just before I came up here called Present Tense. One of the lines is so powerful. It says, you have to come to terms with the reality that you're the only one who can't forgive yourself. And we believe and embrace this lie. So know this. There are symptoms to the unwillingness to forgive yourself. And I would bet you can see these symptoms in your journey. I would bet you can see these symptoms in your life right now. That means you're not experiencing life as it's supposed to be experienced. You're not moving on. So what do we do? Once we see the symptoms, then we have to, second principle, understand the causes. We have to understand the causes of all this lingering guilt. If God's forgiven us and taken the old away and given us new and others are forgiving us, how come we can't forgive ourselves? There are some causes to this lingering guilt. Here's the first one. We live by feelings. We live by feelings. Even though God's taken all the old away and he's given us the new, our feelings stem from yesterday. I learned to feel about myself in the old. I learned to feel about myself through the behavioral patterns of yesterday. And now God took yesterday away and he's made today new. But my feelings are still based upon yesterday. I haven't learned new feelings. And so how am I going to feel when I wake up in the morning? Like one big fat failure. We can't live by feelings or we will live in defeat. And this is what many people say. A lot of people say, I feel your prayers. Oh, really? I'm not trying to beat up spiritual people. I'm just trying to say, if the way you base your understanding of prayer is built on feelings, then more often than not, you're not going to feel people's prayers even when they're praying. I know people say, I feel God working. Well, good for you. What about those times when you don't feel him working? Is he still working? Peter didn't feel like Jesus forgave him, but he did. Peter didn't feel like he was worthy of feeding God's sheep, but he was. But because he lived by feeling, he went fishing. And I believe many of us have gone away from what God has called and promised we could call us to be and promised we could be because we don't feel worthy. We don't feel up to it. We're living by feelings because we haven't forgiven ourselves. There's another cause of living by not forgiving ourselves, and it's lacking faith. It's lacking faith. Peter could not believe that Jesus really forgave him, and so he went fishing. And many of us, I believe, just can't trust that he's really forgiven us because we can't forgive ourselves. Look at 2 Corinthians 5-7. We're supposed to live by faith not by sight. We're supposed to live by faith, trust what he says, not how we feel. Look what he says in Romans 8.1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation, no guilt for those who are in Christ Jesus. Think about this. In Christ Jesus, when you've put your faith in him and experienced his forgiveness, upward forgiveness, you have absolutely no guilt. And yet, how do we feel? Guilty. I'm going to tell you, some of you are, you know, pretty well-behaved people. You're still sinners. You're you're still messed up, but you're pretty well-behaved people. I, I don't know what that's like, but some of you are. I'm going to tell you, 
unless I intentionally embrace what Jesus has said about me, I always feel guilty. Always. We have to live not by feelings, but by faith. We need to trust what he has said about us instead of how we feel about ourselves. Or we will never, ever move on, which explains why so few of us move on. This is huge. There's one last thing I need to throw in. And some of you I know are going, oh my gosh, he's not going to finish this talk. (laughs) Folks, there's a reason I don't wear a watch. I don't care about the time. (laughs) I mean, seriously, here's the thing. But that's not... That's a little bit obnoxious, I know. Here's the thing, but I am obnoxious. See, this is why I feel guilty all the time. But here's, here's what I need you to know. I'm going to finish this talk. It's just going to take me an extra hour. So just hang on, okay? It's really not. The rest of the talk comes quickly. But because I have so much time left to finish this talk, I've decided to add something to your outline that's not even there. I'm going to give you something for free here. You ready for it? Not only is the cause living by feelings, and not only is the cause lacking faith, but the cause is living for self. Living for self. It's interesting, when you go back to Jesus with Peter, when Peter was, you know, fishing again, focused on his own failures. Jesus said, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? This is the first time. And Peter says, yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. And he did it all three times, feed my lambs. You know what he's saying? Okay, if, if you're really loving me, if you're really embracing my forgiveness, if you're really forgiving yourself, you'll stop focusing on yourself and you'll start feeding my lambs. I'm going to tell you, when we sit around running away from God, fishing instead of living for Him, we're focused on ourselves. Oh, poor pitiful me, I messed up my entire life. Oh, poor pitiful me, God could never use me. Oh, poor pitiful me, you know, I'm not value enough to be used. Oh, poor pitiful me, I've ruined my whole life. When God's up there saying, oh, poor pitiful you, I died on the cross so you could have hope, so that you could have a future, so that you could have a life. Would you stop living for yourself and start doing what I died for so that you can live for others? Feed my lambs. I believe so many of us are so consumed with ourselves because we're trying to overcome the guilt that Jesus has already taken away. And it's all because we haven't embraced the forgiveness he gave us. We haven't forgiven ourselves. This is a problem. Stop living for yourself. Start living for others. Okay, so we see the symptoms of not forgiving ourselves. We see the causes for not forgiving ourselves. So what do we do with all of that? How to, right? Well... We have to apply the cure for all this lingering guilt. We have to apply the cure. And I have to do it daily or else I fall. I have to do it daily. You have to do it daily. We have to apply the cure. And what's the cure? It starts with receiving God's forgiveness. You know that upward forgiveness? Until Jesus takes the old away and makes us new. Until he changes the reality of who we are in our story. Until he takes our failures and and buries them so they're not final and, and... resurrects in us a brand new life. We can't move on. We have to receive God's forgiveness. Look at how 1 John 1, 9 says it. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And just so you know, though that applies to everyone, that was written to believers. 
This is written to people who have already followed Christ, who have already said, God's forgiven me, I've forgiven others, others have forgiven me, and yet I'm still not experiencing what God has for me. Why? Because you're not receiving God's forgiveness now. I believe many of us live in failure because we haven't forgiven ourselves yet, and God keeps going, why don't you forgive yourself? Because that old self is gone. Let it go. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. But there are some of us here, right here, or you're watching online, and you've never, ever experienced God forgiving you. You will never move on. You will never move on. Because you will always carry yesterday's guilt into today. You will always be defined by yesterday's guilt today. You will own it. it who, it's who you are. But when you receive Jesus' forgiveness, it's no longer who you are. That's gone, and he's made you new. But you've got to experience it. So before I just throw down these last principles quickly, I'm going to ask if all of you, just for a moment, would bow in a word of prayer. And if you're a believer already, I believe you're probably carrying some junk that you need to confess and let him take away. But those of you who've never received his forgiveness, pray with me. Take my words and make them the expression of your heart to God. Just say, Jesus, I'm coming clean right now. I'm confessing my, my sin. I've been hiding it. I've been running from it. I've been pretending it's not there. But I'm confessing it. And I believe, Jesus, that you died on the cross because the wages of my sin is death. And I'm trusting you to forgive me. And I believe you rose again so that I could have new life. And I'm trusting you for that new life. Forgive me in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you just prayed with me, I really want to encourage you. Please let us know. I mean, we make it as easy as we can. In the program that you're given in any of our live services, there's this connection card. And all you have to do is fill it out, and on the bottom you check off, today I prayed to receive Jesus in my life. If you just prayed with me, please let me know. Put it in one of the boxes as you leave the auditorium, and we're going to send you a letter about navigating next steps in your journey. And I really encourage you, please check out Starting Point Groups. In the lobby of all of our campuses, there are people who can tell you about how to supercharge your, your journey of faith through Starting Point Groups. And if you're watching Church Online, so glad you're doing that. Please make sure that you... Hit the what next button. We'll do the same thing for you. What are the other applications? Once you receive God's forgiveness, then you need to forgive others. Because remember, 3D forgiveness is upward and then outward. Upward and then outward. Look at Colossians 3.13. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Know this. Until you receive God's forgiveness and start willingly forgiving others, you'll never be able to forgive yourself. You'll never be able to experience the freedom he came to give you. And then the third step of application, forgive yourself. Look for the symptoms. Understand the causes. And then forgive yourself. Look at Romans chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin, who we used to be, might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin. We're no longer that person. We're something new because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. And then Galatians 5.1. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. It is not for burden that he has set you free. 
It is not so that you can remain in the shadows of yesterday's darkness. It's not so that you can carry the guilt and the shame and even heavier doses that he died and set you free. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. And if you're not experiencing freedom, it's not because God won't forgive you and it's not because others won't forgive you. It's because you won't forgive yourself. And this is what he says. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Peter was in a yoke of slavery, though free. Fishing instead of feeding. Living below his purpose instead of his purpose because he couldn't forgive himself. And I believe many of us are in the same place. Stand in your freedom. Forgive yourself. I want to end with Peter. Look at John chapter 21, verse 17. This is the third time Jesus is confronting him. He said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? I mean, it happened three times in a row, and this is the third time. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And so Peter said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Now, this is important because he's contrite, he's humble, he's broken, he's not lying. He says, Jesus, you know, you know I love you. Why do you keep asking me this? You know I love you. Why do you keep asking me this? You know all things. Why do you keep asking me this? And then Jesus said, feed my sheep. Now listen. Jesus kept asking him this because he was saying, Peter, you say you love me, and you do. But you're fishing. You're not living out your purpose because you haven't forgiven yourself. If you really love me, Move on and feed my sheep. You need to know, Peter's problem wasn't that he didn't love Jesus. He loved Jesus profoundly. It's just that he couldn't see himself beyond his failure. And so he was consumed with self-doubt and self-deprivation and self-depreciation and self-destruction. And what Jesus was doing was calling him to forgiveness in all three directions. And until he experienced that, he would never be able to feed Jesus' sheep. He'd never be able to wake his world up to Jesus and show his thems, the people in his world, God's love. And the same is true for us. I believe many of us aren't waking the world up to Jesus because we're not awake to Jesus. We're not showing the people in our world, our thems, his love because we're not experiencing his love because we haven't yet forgiven ourselves. But when we do, oh my, God can make Peters out of us. He can use us for great things, but we have to forgive ourselves. And when we do, here's the application. When we do, we move on. If you're stuck and want to move on, experience forgiveness in three directions, and you'll move on, and you'll experience life as you never imagined. Does that make sense? That's how to move on. Now, just before I allow you to move on, I just want to share with you, last week, if you're a guest here, you wouldn't know this, or a tender that wasn't here, last week... I shared the results of our Christmas offering. And for those of you who need to know that uh, Northridge Church may be a large people, church in number, but it's even a larger church when it comes to generosity. And we decided this Christmas that we wanted to save lives in Zambia, Africa, um, by building medical access and hospitals to literally prevent needless deaths in two communities over in Zambia. 
and it was going to cost $2.5 million, which was a huge sacrifice. $2.5 million that would be given and sent over there to do things there. Nothing for ourselves, nothing selfish about this whatsoever. And last week, I told you that we almost reached our goal. We were $35,700 short. Do you remember? Immediately, we got a call from a couple that said, we want to we want to make up the difference. And then there were other people who says, we want to get involved in this thing. So I can officially announce we've reached our $2.5 million goal, which is really exciting. Really, really exciting. So lives are going to be saved in Zambia. And, and I, am so, I am so proud of, I am so overwhelmed by the generosity of Northridge this year in stepping out and making the sacrifices. And so I just want to express thanks to you for doing that. And I, I want to remind you, because so many people said, oh, we've reached our goal. Can we keep giving to you this compassion? Can we keep giving to it? Yeah, you can keep giving, but know this. We do unbelievable works of compassion and generosity every day, locally, regionally, nationally, and around the world through our regular general ministry fund. This was something above and beyond. This was something extra, an extra sacrifice to do something special. But by giving to Northridge Church, you are giving to compassion and generosity and compassion to his mission around the world. And know this, and I'm just being really honest, when we gave $2.5 million to the Christmas fund, the general ministry fund was adversely affected because some people adjusted their giving. And I'm just being honest. No complaints. I'm so thankful for what happened. But if you want to keep giving to compassion and generosity to make a difference in this world, just give here. It goes into our general ministry fund, and we'll keep expressing love and compassion here and around the world. And you'll help us do it in the name of Jesus, and it'll help other people move on. I'm so glad you were here. Thank you so much for being a part. We'll see you next time.